As you can see, friend, it's, it's a big trunk. I'll show you right here. Whoa, you got a dead hooker in the trunk. What? No, it can't be. Yes, it was. It was a dead hooker. It wasn't a dead hooker! Hell, I know a dead hooker when I see one. What's happening? Hey, folks, yeah, come on hey, down. Hey, here's another oh, dead God. hooker in this Get trunk. Oh, my goodness. What are you doing? I've never seen so many dead hookers in all my life. Lord knows I have. Two friends who are desperate for money open a revenge for hire business. Listen as we chat about small town prostitutes, bribery on transplant committees, and if two adverbs cancel each other out. Then we find out if 1998's dirty work stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. I'm James Brief, and joining me as always is Alan Noah. That's me. How you doing, James? I'm good. Um, you know, it's uh, it was a little sad watching uh, this movie because I was thinking of two people that we uh, we miss these days. You know what I'm thinking of? Yes, I do know who you mean. Norm MacDonald and Bob Saget. Right, that's right. And uh, everyone on Saturday Night Live who's kind of very popular, they get one shot at a film. And if he does well, if it's a Billy Madison, then they get another shot at a film. And if it's, uh, you know, it doesn't work out so well, they don't get to make so many films. Or maybe they get to work with Adam Sandler and, you know, get to be in his films. But I remember when this film came out, of course it was known as the, uh, oh, Norm MacDonald from Saturday Night Live, the Weekend Update guy. He's getting his own film. And then you kind of hear about, wait a second, did I hear correctly who the director of this film is? Is that like the Bob Saget? Uh, Yes, it is the Bob Saget. And it was Danny Tanner, the wholesome dad from uh, Full House. He was directing this, uh, you know, this revenge for hire film. And you're like, what the hell? Because this is pre-internet. You don't like know that uh, Bob Saget actually has quite a dirty comic. Right, right, right. Yeah, he was known in comedian circles for being a filthy comic and if you saw him do stand-up you knew that but it wasn't really widely known I, I guess at least to people our age you know we grew up with him as Danny Tanner and then we knew him from America's Funniest Home Videos he was Mr. Wholesome you know he had a great gig on those shows he made a ton of money but yeah he was a really filthy comic and you know the masses we found that out later Probably from uh, Half-Baked, that was probably the first time a lot of people saw him doing R-rated comedy, right? That was the movie he was uh, like, I'll suck your dick for $10 or something like that? Oh, no, it's a great scene. So um, Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer, they smoke weed, and they're at some like... AA kind of meeting, but it's for all kinds of drugs. And they're like, I'm addicted to marijuana. And suddenly Bob Saga gets up and he goes, you can't be addicted to marijuana. And they're like, no, maybe I am. And Bob's like, I've sucked dick for coke. Uh, you've never sucked dick for weed. And it's like, did Danny Tanner just say that? Right, right. Also, not only are Norm MacDonald and Bob Saget both gone, they died within like, months weeks of each other 
I'm not the kind of person who, generally speaking, gets like really sad and mopey about celebrity deaths because I don't know these people. I know of them and, you know, I admire their work, but I don't really feel a personal connection to them usually. But um, I was really sad when I saw that Norm MacDonald died. I was like, what the fuck? He was young-ish, I think 60s, like, you know, not super old. I was a huge, huge, huge fan of his on SNL. I loved his Weekend Update bits. I thought he was just the funniest guy ever. I I saw him live not that long ago. I mean, maybe four-ish, five-ish years ago. Um, And it was shocking. People who knew him were shocked. People who knew him didn't know he was sick. They didn't know he had cancer. Did you see that uh, that stand-up special he like recorded into his webcam they put on Netflix after he died? No, I didn't see it, but uh, I did hear his uh, cancer joke, which I thought was really funny, actually. Was that from that special? I'm not sure, but it goes like this, where he says, cancer's interesting because, you know, you could win, you can beat cancer, but you can't really lose because if I die, the cancer dies. So really, it's more of like a draw. <laughs> that's that's Norm Macdonald's dry humor. I, I did watch that Netflix special. I don't remember that joke specifically. I remember liking that special and laughing a lot because I find Norm Macdonald to be very, very funny. But it was also like bittersweet because it's just him literally in front of his laptop talking into the webcam. It was the last thing he ever did. He knew he was going to die. At like at one point, like the phone rings and he just keeps going. It shows that you can be really funny. You don't need a stage and a microphone and a room full of hundreds or thousands of people. But it was just like, it was tough. It was kind of tough to watch because I just, I was always a huge Norm Macdonald fan. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised you're a, hu- a huge Mac- a Norm Macdonald fan. But um, he was not for everybody. And, and oh, sure. he's not somebody that I'm like, what? You don't like Norm Macdonald? I mean, I am like, what? You don't like Norm Macdonald? But to be fair, I can't be like, dude, what is wrong with that person? I'm guessing you've heard his moth joke. Oh, sure. I mean, that was making the rounds after he died. Everyone was posting the moth joke. Right. I mean, the moth joke, it's long. It's several minutes long. And... I'm not going to say that the punchline is going to kill with everyone because you have to be compatible with that kind of humor. If you are, you're going to love that joke. It's a great Norm MacDonald joke. It's the longest setup for one very quick punchline. Exactly, but that that's a Norm MacDonald style. I, I mean, he famously did a lot of OJ jokes and you know his punchlines would be like, you know, OJ Simpson uh, this week was wondering why he wasn't at his annual uh, birthday party and his response, I'm too busy murdering people with knives. The OJ thing is why he was fired from SNL because there was some boss at NBC who was friends with OJ and did not like all of the OJ jokes, which really, to your point, weren't jokes. It was like him saying to camera, OJ Simpson murdered his ex-wife and got away with it. And, you know, that's not really a joke, but I mean, it's true. Uh, I mean, I think we can say that, right? Um, well, he was convicted uh, civilly, I believe. Yeah, he was, he was found civil. He was civilly found liable. liable or something, right? Um, but like 
because of that feud with this NBC executive, NBC wasn't airing any commercials or promos for Dirty Work. And I'm not saying that's the reason why this movie bombed, but it probably didn't help. You know, like some well-placed ads during Saturday Night Live, even if it was after he left the show, that might have helped. But he made some enemies with that. And I agree with you. He is a quirky guy. His sensibility is different. His setup for jokes and punchlines is different and not for everybody. And you mentioned uh, this movie last week because it came out the same weekend as Can't Hardly Wait. I had zero interest in running to the theater to see Can't Hardly Wait. I did want to run to the theater to see Dirty Work. One, because I love Norm MacDonald. Two, because I realized this movie might not be in theaters for very long. So I need to go and see this movie right away before it's gone. And that turned out to be true. I mean, the majority of what what I guess at the time, the genre of Saturday Night Live guys getting films, the majority of them were pretty bad. But you have to define Saturday Night Live film because this isn't a movie based on a Saturday Night Live sketch or character. Correct. This is a movie that is a star vehicle for someone who was in Saturday Night Live. Right. This is the equivalent of Hot Rod for Andy uh, Andy Samberg. Billy Madison. Yes. For, for, you know, and uh, Black, not Black Sheep, but the first one. Tommy uh, Boy. Tommy Boy for David Spade. And I, I think... Uh, uh, and I Chris guess, Farley. Yeah, Chris Farley. I, I was going to say he was also in like Airheads and stuff, but that. But I think that was his first starring film was Tommy Boy. Right. I think Billy Madison is a good comparison for this movie because the plot of Billy Madison, it's there, but it's not really what got butts in seats. People went to see Billy Madison because it was an Adam Sandler movie, and the plot was basically an excuse for Adam Sandler to run around and speak gibberish and do his shtick. And if you liked his shtick, you would pay $10 to see it in a movie theater. Similarly, Dirty Work has a plot, But really, the draw is if you like Norm MacDonald, you're going to go to see this movie because he's going to do his delivery, his thing for 90 minutes or less. Actually, I think it's closer to 80 minutes, but whatever. You will pay money to see that. And as it turns out, Norm MacDonald had less of a commercial appeal than Adam Sandler did slash does. You know, I hadn't seen this film before this week, and for anyone else who haven't hasn't seen this film, uh, Dirty Work is about two friends, Mitch, played by Norm MacDonald, and Sam, played by Artie Lang. Mitch and Sam need $50,000 to pay for heart surgery for Sam's dad. They get a job at a movie theater, but they're fired after pulling a prank on their abusive boss. That gives Mitch the idea to open a revenge for hire business, which they call Dirty Work. They start making money, but it's not enough to pay for the heart surgery. Then, a corrupt real estate dealer, Travis Cole, played by Shooter McGavin... Wait, played by who? Shooter McGavin. I think you mean to say Christopher McDonald. Shooter McGavin. Okay. So, Shooter McGavin uh, is in the role of Travis Cole, and he offers Mitch and Sam $50,000 to get a building uh, that he owns condemned. But Cole didn't actually own the building, and after Mitch and Sam get it condemned, Cole refuses to pay, leading Mitch and Sam to plan the ultimate revenge. Right. So, as I was alluding to, this movie was a bomb. It barely lasted in theaters. I'm afraid to 
ask exactly how much money it lost, but whatever, this is what we do. So how much money did it lose, James? Well, it opened the same weekend as Can't Hardly Wait. It opened uh, June 12th, 1998. It opened at number nine with $3 million. Yikes. And it was only in the theater for two weeks. Oof. And it wound up leaving with $10 million. So not great, but it did kind of develop a cult following. And a few weeks back, when we talked about Conan the Barbarian, our guest was my buddy and roommate from college, Clinton Festa, and he loved Norm MacDonald, and he saw Dirty Work, and he and I would constantly quote this movie to each other. And when you quote Dirty Work out of context, most people aren't going to get it. They're just going to shake their head and look at you like you're insane, which, you know, okay, fair. But we quoted this movie a lot, and very, very, very few people got it. Although, I guess, you know, over time, over the past 25 years, more people have talked about it, more people have seen it, so maybe we were just ahead of our time. Let's go with that. Clint, you and I are ahead of our time. So, Al, you stand the test of time. Thank you. Myself and Clint. I'm not just going to take that solo. I only knew one thing about this film, that it's one of these revenge for hire, and I kind of figured it is what it is. But the revenge for hire business is like a montage of the film, and it's very quickly like goes out of business. I was just surprised how quickly that came and went. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. And I think also it's worth noting that all of the revenge stuff in here, like the montage and like the quick little revenge scenes, I think all of them, maybe except one, are very, very funny. And it kind of seems like this movie was made with that idea in mind. And then they had to work in the stuff with Sam and then Pops and the heart and all of this other stuff to kind of, you know, make it a movie. And maybe the movie would have been better served if it was just more focused on the revenge stuff. The one that I was going to say is maybe not that funny is The Bearded Lady, which is played by Rebecca Romaine. And the revenge that they pull on her is they shave the beard. It's not unfunny, but it's not particularly funny either. Like, you don't need to be really good at revenge to come up with that. You know, like, that's just what you would think would be a good way to get back at a drunk, mean, bearded lady. Right, right. Um, I guess let's go through all the revenge plots that we see in this film. Okay. Um, All the way from childhood, there's a crossing guard that they don't like uh, because the crossing guard is patting him on the butt and everything, all the little kids. Yeah. And no one can really catch him because it's, I guess, probably the 70s and, uh, you know, no one's going to record you on video. So their revenge is that they put, like, industrial strength epoxy glue on their butts so when the guy pats their butt then he's stuck to them right i think that's kind of funny there's actually one before that where there's a bully that's beating up mitch and so in order to get back at him he steals sam's dad's guns and puts the guns in the bully's desk at school and then he gets arrested and that is Not great from a test of time perspective. I think you don't want to have guns in a school in a comedy, period. Just skip that whole thing. You know, sometimes there's like, they should have known, but this was one of those, thank goodness these guys were so naive that this film is released in 1998. Mm -hmm. They're literally months before Columbine is about to happen. I give them a full pass. 
But um, they go to a bar, and Artie Lang, who I think is good in this film, I, yeah. I think he plays well cast as the uh, buddy. He's the hothead who always gets into fights, and he's kind of defending his best friend Mitch. And they get into a huge fight with these frat boys, and they get the shit beaten out of them. They get thrown on the streets. It's a falling gag that Mitch is always thrown, at, uh, like Fresh Prince style. Yes, yeah, he always like kind of lands face first. Right, right, right. And so as revenge, they uh, call up the frat house and they say, hey, hey, frat brothers, it's uh, your other frat brother. And I'm just warning you that there's a bunch of cops going around claiming that they're cops, but they're fake cops. And uh, they robbed Kappa Psi. So, you know, be on the lookout. And then the next thing he does, so he's going to call the cops and send real cops there. But he calls and he goes, hello, real cops? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's so funny. It's and, Well, it's Norm MacDonald humor. That's what it is. I mean, it's really, really dry, and no one else could deliver that line like Norm MacDonald, but the way he delivers it makes me laugh. You saying it makes me imagine Norm MacDonald saying it, which makes me laugh. You know, there's a woman in this film, uh, Trailer Howard. I knew her mostly. You ever see Monk? No, I know of it, but I never watched it. Okay, so she was Natalie in Monk, so that's where I knew her from. Okay. But um, her boss is this used car salesman, and he's played by a really funny actor. I hope not uh, mispronouncing his name, uh, David Kochner. He often plays kind of a scumbag guy. He's an anchorman. Yeah. Um, he's really, really funny, and he's a jerk in this film. So uh, he's filming a commercial, a live commercial for some reason, which the entire town is watching, by the way. Yeah, um, it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. But um, as he's filming this uh, commercial with all these uh, cars in front behind him, uh, Mitch, Norm MacDonald, he's like, how big are those trunks? And he's like, uh, watch it, come in, I'm, I'm live. But he goes, um, they're really big trunks. And he opens up the trunk and there's a, there's a, like, what looks like a dead woman in the back. And Mitch is like, whoa, you got a dead hooker in the back of that uh, cab. And then he opens more with the remote control, already opens more of the trunks. And whoa, I've never seen so many dead hookers in my life. It's such a Norm MacDonald delivery uh, of that line. Hookers are a recurring theme in this movie. And it's not really ever explained why. He also hires real hookers to play the role of dead hookers in the trunk, which seems unnecessary. Like you could just have any woman pretend to be a dead hooker, but like he needs to go for authenticity or something. Mitch says, I've never seen so many dead hookers in all my life. And then some random guy in the crowd says, Lord knows I have. And you don't know what the hell that means. It's just really ominous. And then, you know, cut away. Who cares? But basically the the theme in the movie is that every woman that Mitch meets or sees, he assumes is a hooker. And you, you mentioned that it's like a small town and everyone in this town is apparently watching this commercial. Everyone in this movie is always watching the local news. It seems like it's a very, very small community. They never say where it is. I think just small town is kind of built into it. It's kind of like in the DNA which then also makes you wonder why there are so many hookers in just this random small town. But don't worry about it. Don't think about that. It's fine. 
That's the world's oldest profession, I guess. Yeah. I think the part that made me laugh out loud uh, the most in this movie is there is a part where they're playing a prank. Uh, some guy is like, oh, these uh, rich neighbors always making noise and uh, I hate them and uh, they're always having parties. And so Mitch says, all right, if they will make it unbearable to live in your house, we're going to make it unbearable for them to live in their house. So they have a very standard prank, which is they come in with some very smelly fish, and they put the fish everywhere. They put it under the bed and in the VCR and, you know, in the plants and because uh, they know that the family's not home, but suddenly there's activity at the front door. There happens to be a major, major cocaine deal right. going on in the lobby of this uh, home one of the goons he just like sniffs and he goes why does it smell like fish in here which is a random thing to say but the other guy goes why do you smell like fish is that a line is that a signal to the cops sam and mitch they're hiding in the other room they're cracking up like these guys are coming in and they don't know the whole place is gonna smell and we're just you know a bunch of goofballs and then suddenly the uh, drug dealers all start murdering each other. And you could see the expression on Sam and Mitch's face go from laughter to like just horror. But they're also holding two dead fish in each hand. But after, and Mitch goes to check on the carnage outside, Sam already like, he starts, he keeps burying the fish. That scene is priceless. It's all audio of what you're hearing of this gun battle and, you know, just their stoic faces. But like the lines that you hear that they're screaming off camera, one of the guys is like, oh no, now you're killing me with a chainsaw. Ah! And then another boy says, oh no, now you took the chainsaw from me and now you're using the chainsaw to kill me. And it's like, I don't really have any experience with that, but that's not a thing anyone would ever say. No one's going to narrate that and explain what's happening if they're being killed by a chainsaw. Oh, I beg to differ, Al. I, I, I'm pretty sure I 100% have experience with this. And Killing I'm people pretty, with a chainsaw? No, but experience with this situation. Weren't you practically raised in the mid-90s on Adam Sandler's comedy CD, They're All Gonna Laugh at You? Right. There is a scene, the severe beating of a high school uh, science professor, that he's like, Oh, you're breaking the beakers. Now you're smashing me with the stools. Ow, oh, you're breaking my hand now. Ow. Oh. It's similar to that, and it's hysterical in the same reason. I think more of those skits was more of just like, sound effects and yelling i don't think they narrate everything that happens he does say you're breaking the beakers but i don't think he says you're punching me in the face with the beakers well he says you're breaking my hand and then you hear this horrible sound but that's a plug for they're all gonna laugh at you by adam sandler a very funny cd from probably like 1994 93 something like that um everything you hear everything that they're saying is so goddamn funny like i love that scene I could watch that scene on loop over and over again. It is just brilliant. Another brilliant moment is when 
uh, Mitch is talking with his love interest, or Kathy is her name, and he starts like screaming out her name. He's like, Mildred, Mildred. And she's like, that's not my name. And he's like, right, I know. I didn't know your name. I never got your name because they met earlier in the bar in that fight scene. So he's like, so I didn't know your name. So I just was guessing. And she's like, that's a really stupid idea. And also Mildred. And then he he is concerned because he's going to have to condemn the building that his love interest grandma is living in and he feels really bad about it but he has to get out of the situation so he's like well i'm gonna go lift weights what like he he's trying to think of a line it's the first thing that pops into his head he immediately hates what he said that is one of the lines that clint and i used to quote all the time to each other as we would have to you know like go our separate ways one of us was going to go to class or something be like well i'm gonna go lift weights what and you know clint did lift weights a lot in college uh so it kind of made sense for him but that gets me that gets me every time i still think that's really funny you know chevy chase is very hit or miss with me and in this film his character is so ridiculous that i find it quite funny this doctor is a gambling addict and the mob is going to kill him unless he gets 50 grand so he tells mitch and sam if you give me 50 grand which will save my ass i'll put your pops at the top of the heart transplant uh, list do you remember how doc got in 50 grand deep to the mob yeah because he's betting on all of these sports losers like the buffalo bills the boston red sox the new york jets and Mr. T. He bet against Rocky in Rocky 3. Right, right, right. Which is, you know, ridiculously stupid. Well, um, to be fair, actually, there were seven, uh, sorry, there were six official Rocky films, and he loses in two of them. A full third. He also, he does lose in Rocky 3 to Mr. T, but it depends which fight Doc bet on. That's a good point. I mean, he could have won. Uh, it's kind of a dated reference for 1998, but whatever. I mean, the Rocky movies are classic and people know it, so it's not a big deal. Also, the the Buffalo Bills and the Boston Red Sox in 1998, they were known losers. You don't have to be like a sports fan to know. Obviously, the Red Sox went on to break their losing streak and, you know, won many world titles. Did the Buffalo Bills ever win a Super Bowl? No, they didn't, but they're very good again. They lost four in a row in the 90s. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. But um, when I was doing research for this, I saw that Artie Lang was apparently hesitant to take this movie because he had heard that Chevy Chase is difficult to work with. And you know how there are some actors in Hollywood that everyone says that person is nice. Everyone loves Tom Hanks. No one ever says anything bad about Tom Hanks. And then there are assholes that everyone hates and no one ever says anything nice about those people. Chevy Chase is interesting because some people say he is like the world's worst person. He is a notorious asshole. He had that huge fight with Dan Harmon on the set of Community and was fired from that show. People despise him, but then other people love him and they talk about what a great guy he is. So Chevy Chase is apparently just a hard guy to pin down. Some people love him, some people hate him. But Artie Lang had heard that he was difficult to work with. And then apparently on the set of this movie, they became very good friends and they worked together very well and they developed a great relationship. I agree with you that he's hit or miss. Like when we watched Fletch, I was like, I'm getting bored of this shtick after, you know, an hour and a half of it. But I think in this movie, in this kind of role where he just pops up, delivers a couple of goofy lines and then leaves, it works. 
You know who's hysterical in this film? The actor who plays one of the homeless guys, uh, he was the principal in Billy Madison. Yes, that actor is Jim Downey, and he is an actor in this movie and Billy Madison, a couple other roles. He was a writer on Saturday Night Live for years. Saturday Night Live nerds know that name. He was a very influential writer. He was there for a very long time. He's on the Mount Rushmore of like behind-the-scenes geniuses at Saturday Night Live. That's really how he's known in like, you know, comedy circles for people like you and me. We know him as the principal from Billy Madison. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. That's what we'll always know him for. Uh, But the like the monologues that he gives in this movie where he's talking about how his life went to shit because he used to work for Travis Cole and then he was fired and he lost his job and he knew that his life had really taken a turn for the worse at his daughter's soccer game and the policeman came over and said, move along. He's going on this monologue. Everyone leaves. No one gives a shit. This isn't his story. No one cares. It's really, really funny. He does that twice in the movie. Both times, it is great. I love that guy. Yeah, he's really, really good. Um, Chris Farley, he also has a small role in this film. He's very funny. He plays a character that doesn't really have a nose. Right. The joke is that his nose or the tip of his nose was bitten off by a Saigon whore. And then he meets that Saigon whore in this town because there's a lot of hookers in this town for reasons that we're not going to worry about. This was actually the last movie that Chris Farley filmed. It came out after his death, but, you know, he filmed it before. I believe he's uncredited in this movie. He showed up as a as a friend, as did Adam Sandler, who plays Satan in um, Mitch's hallucinations when he eats the experimental cookies or whatever. You know, Adam Sandler plays a devil. He was probably on set for a day. Doesn't take a credit. Right. And, you know, Norm MacDonald was in Billy Madison and Adam Sandler was in Norm MacDonald's film. Um, I do love uh, his his note to self recordings. It's such a great Norm Macdonald thing. It's a gag from a Weekend Update that he carried over, but uh, very very funny. You know, um, he gets the crap beaten out of him, and then while he's lying on the ground, he goes, "Note to self: Learn to fight." <laughs> I just think that's a really funny note to self. My favorite note to self is when he's talking to Rebecca Romaine as the bearded lady, and she's like. You haven't lived if you haven't slept with a bearded lady. And then he takes out the cassette recorder and says, note to self, I don't want to live. It's great. It's absolutely great. The other scene that Clint and I used to quote to each other all the time was the scene in jail when Mitch is raped. Clint actually made a reference to this line a few weeks back when we were talking about Conan the Barbarian, where... Mitch is very, very worried about being raped because they're in jail. And then he is kind of dragged off. He is raped off screen. You don't see any of it. And then he is like kind of thrown back into the room. And he's like, you know what hurts the most is the lack of respect. Well, that and the other thing. The other thing hurts the most. The lack of respect, that hurts the second most. So obviously, whenever Clint and I would say that, it was horrifically out of context. But, you know, it made us laugh. And I think it's worth pointing out that on this podcast, I often point out jokes and things that I think are homophobic. I don't really think this movie is homophobic, even though there are some gay jokes kind of mixed in there. I think really this movie is making fun of homophobia and homophobic people more than it's making fun of gay people. I guess that's open to interpretation. Uh, But Mitch himself seems to have 
some gay tendencies. There's a, a reference to him finding Sean Connery very attractive. But I think that is just part of the big picture gag. Well said, Al. Well said. Well, Al, that brings us to the part of the podcast that really says if a film stands the test of time. When I ask you, does dirty work stand the test of time? I have to say yes, because I think this movie works every bit as well today as it did 25 years ago. If you never found Norm MacDonald funny, then you hated this movie in 1998, and if you'd watch it again today, you would still hate it. If you are a fan of Norm MacDonald's comedy, you would have loved this movie 25 years ago, and you will love it today. It it hasn't gotten better or worse. It's just the same. It's not for everyone, I agree, but for the people who like it, yeah, what about it doesn't stand the test of time, except for the fact that Mitch is constantly talking into a cassette recorder and leaving his notes for self, That is a dated thing, but you could very easily just have it be a a recorder on your phone. There are apps for that. And my job that I had pre-COVID, there was a guy who in 2017, 18, 19 used a cassette recorder, not a digital thing. He's like, I like having the tape. And I was like, why though? He's like, I don't know. I just like it. Here, I'll send you the link to the one I have. If you want to buy one for yourself, it's only like $40. And I'm like, I'm sorry. While you were saying that sentence, I downloaded a free app that does the same thing you just said, only better. And it's free. Why would I buy that? But I say that only because there are still some people who like cassette recorders for some weird reason. Um, I absolutely love this movie. And I think, yeah, it stands the test of time. What do you think? Um, I think that this movie is incredibly, incredibly stupid. That doesn't mean it's bad, though. I think you nailed it. I think they had a couple ideas for jokes, and they kind of probably had a whiteboard at the SNL studios or, or some office, and like, I don't know, Revenge for Hire? I don't know. Uh, you know, Game Show, he's got to do this. I don't know. Uh, voodoo Curse, he's got to do all that. I don't know. <laughs> voodoo curse. How do we get him to hold fish in a house when there's a mob uh, drug deal? You know? The whole pops uh, plot is stupid. They got to do this so that they could pay for a doctor to put him on a transplant list as if this surgery doesn't cost them any money. Why don't they just say they need the money to pay for the surgery? Actually, that'd be more believable today that people just can't afford the surgery. True. But um, the thing is- Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying this isn't how transplants work? um, I've actually been on transplant uh, committees and- um, the person uh, who pays the $50,000 wins, right? <laughs> um, no, no, no. It, it's not like that. No, not at all. It's, it's really like a point system and like you're, you're scored based on severity of your disease and, and things like that. I mean, I guess somebody, if they could be bribed to tell you that, uh, you know, you're more severe than you are, I guess. But um, I'm going to say it stands up because Yay! this is... A good example of the late Norm MacDonald's uh, uh, humor. I think it stands up as a Norm MacDonald film. It is not for everyone. And if you watch this film and go, 
Guys, you both thought this film was good? Like, what the fuck? I, I will go, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. It's not for you. Before you go and watch this hour and a half long film, go watch Norm MacDonald's moth joke. If you find that funny, I do think you'll find the charm in this film. If you think that joke is a waste of your seven minutes of time, then... I only wasted seven minutes instead of uh, 90 to, to 100 minutes. So I think that's a good test. Wouldn't you say, Al? I do think that is a good test. If you don't think the moth joke is funny, though, you should get yourself a cassette recorder and say, note to self, develop a sense of humor immediately. No, I think you would <laughs> say, note to self, develop a sense of humor that likes Norm MacDonald. Um, I, I don't think he's for everyone. He isn't, but... A few years ago, it was one of like the SNL like retrospectives, like the 30th anniversary, 35th anniversary, something like that. And they did a section of the show about the musical guests and the monologues and the taped bits and the commercials and game shows. And they had a segment about Weekend Update because, of course, right within that segment, they like gave so much praise to Norm MacDonald that he was like the best of the best at Weekend Update. And when you think about it, there have been some very fucking funny people who have done Weekend Update over the years, and they all put Norm MacDonald on this pedestal. I think he was what you would call a comedian's comedian. Funny people found him funny. So I get what you're saying that it's not for everyone, but I think that lends some gravitas to his shtick, his bit. Sorry, I interrupted you, but I just I, I wanted to defend Norm MacDonald. All I had left to say was... Uh, dirty work stands the test of time. Yay! But not for everyone. For James Brief, it does. Maybe not for you, and I mean you, the listener. For everyone who counts, it stands the test of time. Wow! <laughs> no! No, folks. <laughs> this might be one of the hills that I would die on. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that's not a hill I want to die on. I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to like describe his sense of humor. It's esoteric. It's subversive. It's unexpected. It's dry. It's direct. Like some of the jokes in this movie, they're not jokes. They're jokes in the way that he was joking of, uh, in other news, OJ Simpson murdered his wife. Not a joke. In this movie, when they're talking about the frat guys, when they're like going to go back and get their revenge, Mitch says something like, oh, you know what? Maybe they'll be tired from beating us mercilessly. Yeah, there's a great part with the frat guys when he calls them and says, now go do some homoerotic activities. Latently homoerotic. Yes, yes, exactly. There's two adverbs in there, uh, mercilessly and latently. Stephen King would not approve. Um, Unless two adverbs cancel themselves out? I do don't know, uh, Mr. King, if you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please let us know at Test of Tide Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, the nudie magazine that Pops is looking at in this movie is called Impotent Old Men and Whores. That is like a gag right out of Billy Madison. Like, right? All of the nudie magazines in that movie are like, you know, I, I can't remember what the nudie magazines were named in that movie, but like Chicks similar. over 80. Right, right, right. And, it's, and he's kind of looking through and is like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't think this sensibility is radically different from Adam Sandler's. It's a different variety, but they're like cousins, second cousins, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how to relate this 
comedy stuff, but it's not that wildly different. I think Billy Madison is a lot more universal appeal. I think just, you know, straight up fart jokes and uh, beating up kindergartners and dodgeball. I think it's a little bit more straight up, but I will agree with you that I found both films entertaining. Comparing this movie to Billy Madison makes sense. You know what other movie I was kind of mentally comparing it to is UHF. Because that's a movie that there is a plot, but the plot's really just there because it's an excuse for Weird Al to do Weird Al stuff. That's really the draw of the movie. And, you know, it's similar to Norm MacDonald in this movie. If you're looking for, like, a very cohesive plot and, you know, character development and all that stuff, you might not get it. But if you're a fan of the movie star and you just kind of want to see that person do their thing, you're going to love it. And both movies bombed at the box office but then became cult hits. So it kind of was giving me those kind of vibes. I I can see what you mean. It's it's definitely got this, like... Low budget, let's just shoot for the for the fences and like who cares? Like maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Right. But that's gonna do it for us this week. Next week, James, I'm really excited about this. I hope you are too. In honor of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, we are going to do three episodes about the original Indiana Jones trilogy. This is like one of the big trilogies that we have not yet done on the podcast. And I mean, this is it. This is the time to do it. Also, the plan is to have different guests for each of those three episodes. I'm hoping that all works out scheduling-wise. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Next week, we are going to be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark with our friend Movies at the Mat. He's going to join us again to talk about the movie that started it all, that started this epic franchise. And in case you're wondering why we're not reviewing all four Indiana Jones films, Alan is going to be explaining that in a future episode. I will discuss that in our last Crusade episode. But in the meantime, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, you know what? I'm not asking you guys to get revenge on anybody, to do some dirty work out there. What I'm going to ask you to do is write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a nice thing you can do for the show. It helps other people find the show. I would very much appreciate it. I'll read it on the air in a future episode. So, hey, take five seconds while the episode is ending and do that. And uh, we will see you next time, everybody. Bye. All right, uh, I got to go lift weights. What? What?